Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. I suppose we could say Happy Advent. Why not? <laughs> that works. That works. Friends, it is a privilege and a joy afforded to us to be here today to worship the living God. As we come, we have the third candle of the Advent wreath lit. We have lit already the hope and the peace candles, and today we have the candle of joy, signified by the joyful color of pink. We come to worship the living God whose birth we anticipate into the world at Christmas, and so let us then be called to worship as we read responsively from the 40th chapter of Isaiah. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. Let us worship the Lord, living in the hope of his promises. the joys of waiting for Christmas and how easily we get caught up in thinking naughty or nice, what will I get? Here's the good news. We have a gift given undeserved, 
and Jesus Christ. We just need to admit that we need it. Will you please join me in the prayer of confession? Everlasting and always loving God, long ago you sent messengers to tell the good news of your mercy and forgiveness, but still our ears refuse to hear, our eyes fail to see, and our hearts remain closed to you. We have ignored your wisdom and counsel regarding how we are to live. We have considered ourselves only and ignored the hurt of others. We have preferred instead to create our own truth. Sing to us again, Prince of Peace, in this holy season, that we may have still another chance to receive your gift of yourself in your Son and become messengers to others of your saving grace. In Christ the Lord we pray, amen. The joy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. God's joy comes to us in his son, Jesus Christ, who was born to set us free from sin. Therefore, I declare to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Now may the peace of Christ be with you. Spread that peace around to those close to you and to the whole world. Friends, the family is gathered, and it's always a good idea to make sure the family knows what's going on so that nobody is left out. So let me remind you that this evening at 7 o'clock, in the very seats where you are sitting, we will celebrate a Baroque Noel. We have a couple of special instruments with us in the sanctuary for the concert this evening. We'll be joined by the Village Community Chorale, some of these folks plus others from the community, as well as an orchestra. If you plan to come but have not yet registered online, we'd encourage you to do that and we would remind you so that the choir does not have to have on masks and we can hear them a little bit better, we are requiring that everybody in the congregation be masked and we're looking forward to a great musical celebration of the season. That celebration will continue next Sunday, not at 7 o'clock, but at 4 o'clock. It will be outside, and because it's outside, we'll all get to sing to our heart's content. We have eight hours of sing-along music program. No. <laughs> We're going to make up for lost time. <laughs> We'll have our full choir. They'll be singing all kinds of music. We'll have a few readings, and we'll have lots of opportunity to sing along with some of the great carols of the season. Then on December 23rd, the day before the day before Christmas, we'll have a Luminaria party over in the Fellowship Center at 5 o'clock. We are going to teach you the finely tuned science. It's a liturgical science, actually, of taking sand and pouring it into a paper bag. I think most of you can handle that. We'll be preparing over a thousand luminarias to light the Christ child's way as we come into worship then on Christmas Eve. So come and participate with us. Let us know that you're coming by emailing Neil Pressa. Then on Christmas Eve, pay close attention. Two o'clock in the afternoon, we will be out on the patio. Four o'clock in the afternoon, we will be here in the sanctuary, and we will be streaming and recording that service for folks around the world. Then at six o'clock, we'll be out on the patio again, and for those few remaining survivors, at 11 o'clock, we will be back in the sanctuary for a service that will also include communion. The next day, on Christmas Day, you are invited to participate in the Branch Barbecue uh, Ministry as we serve lunch to the homeless down in Mission Bay. If you'd like to participate in that, give Jan Farley a shout and she can tell you more about it. We have instituted uh, an old but also a, a new part of our worship uh, today. Last week we tried it and it worked out well. So we are going to give you the opportunity to bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord in worship as an act of worship. Some of you may prefer still to take your offering out to the white boxes that are outside or to mail them in uh, as many of you do. But if you would like to bring your offering forward during this next musical piece, we encourage you to bring your offerings forward to place in the baskets that are both to my right and my left. And in all of those ways, we will worship God. So let's continue our worship now through music.
Miles and Susie. Friends, this is the time in our worship service we, where we present our prayers of thanksgiving and intercession to the Lord, the one who desires to hear from us. Whether we're here in person or online, we are united in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Let us enter now this time of prayer. Most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise for who you are and who you are to us in the eternal word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. That truly in him, O Lord, we find our peace, your love, your joy. We are in your presence, living God, as your children who are ever in need of your mercy and your grace. We live and move and have our being in you. We're grateful that we can count upon you, for you are faithful and true, no matter what season of the year it is. Whether cold mornings like today or warm or hot days, you are with us and we're grateful. We are people, O oh Lord, who desire to speak to you, to pour our hearts to you. For we carry so many burdens and cares in our lives, O oh God, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come alongside us and carry life with us. Hear our prayers, O Lord, for this is such a tender time for so many here and around the world. For all those, O God, who are sick in mind, body, and spirit, O God, we pray that you would 
provide healing and wholeness. For so many, O Lord, who have lost loved ones, gracious God, we entrust their souls into your care even as we pray for all those who are mourning and grieving in this time. That your peace that surpasses all understanding, you would pour forth that peace. Comfort and fold and embrace, we pray. For so many, O God, who are seeking your guidance, your wisdom, your direction, Holy Spirit, provide that direction and wisdom, that resilience and patience. For so many, O God, who have been ravaged and devastated by tornadoes in the Midwest, God, come to the aid of whole neighborhoods and towns destroyed, for lives lost, for first responders, O God, who are providing aid and rescue efforts, Lord, hear our prayers. For lands ravaged by war and violence, God, you are the God of peace. Come in a way that only you can. For all other prayers, O Lord, and there are so many, we can be here, O Lord, for days and weeks and years and still not exhaust the prayers and cares of this world. God, hear our prayers. Hear our prayers, O Lord, for your people everywhere, for the gospel witness that it would flourish in every land. Fill us with your hope. Fill us with your joy. We pray for Pastor Jack, O Lord, as he proclaims your word to us. Bring that word, O Lord, to every household, every heart. Remind us, O God, that we belong to you. Hold us close to your heart, we pray. Even as we pray those sacred words that Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior, taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Stand with me now as you are able, so that together we may give our full attention to the reading and to the hearing of God's word as we find it recorded in the second chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In this Advent season in the year of our Lord 2021, we are looking intently at the creche, at the manger scene. We have already seen Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are not at the manger proper, but they figure largely in the story of Jesus' birth. We've looked at the shepherds, who also are important in the story and who went to be at the manger. We will look next week at Joseph, and then on Christmas Eve, we'll take a look at Mary. And the week after, Neil will take us into a conversation about the wise men. As we look at the manger scene, there are some characters that we see and some that we don't, and the ones that we see always raise questions in our mind, I suppose, just what was going on in their minds, just what exactly was happening beyond what we're told in the stories. 
I don't know about you, but when I look at the manger scene, I always wonder, was Joseph standing on the right side or the left side? That's a big question when you're setting up your manger scenes on the shelf or out on the patio or wherever you are. Was Mary kneeling down or was she standing up? These are important theological questions that we will leave aside for today. Today we're going to talk about another person who was not there but very much there. Before we do that though, let's think about this other aspect of the manger scene that not only are we looking at the characters in the scene, we are also finding ourselves in the manger scene, finding our place at the manger. We're not meant just to observe something that is happening a long time ago and at a distance. We are meant to understand that we are part of the scene as well. Zechariah and Elizabeth, for instance, have a lot to teach us about faithful discipleship over the years. If you can't identify with them in that way, then perhaps you can identify with them, at least some of you, because they were simply very, very old. How about the shepherds? I don't know that any of us in this room actually are shepherds, but it's good news to us when we hear that those who would least expect to be included in the story of salvation are actually included and and almost given a place of honor. Maybe we too can be included in God's story of salvation, and maybe we too can include others. We can identify with all the characters of Christmas. The angels might be hard, but we'll figure that out someday. The one character of Christmas that we do not like to think about, the one character who often goes unnamed, the one character with whom none of us want to be identified is Herod. It takes a lot to scare Juan Carlos, but when I suggested that we'd be talking about Herod today, he turned white and he said, there are no good Christmas carols about Herod. (laughs) The one the choir just sang is one of the very very few that recognizes what the scripture says, that Herod played an important role in the story of the birth of the Messiah. Oftentimes this scripture is never read at Christmas time, and rarely have I read a sermon preached by any preacher about Herod. And so probably I'm crazy to preach this sermon today. But I'm old, I don't care anymore. I'll go for it. And I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to warn you so you get yourselves ready. We are meant not only to look at Herod as a historical figure, someone who played an important role in the birth of Christ. We're also going to try to find a way to identify with Herod, but we'll build up to it. The fact is that we must deal with Herod. We must look at the story of who he was and especially what he did, a story that none of us want to ponder. None of us really even want to admit happened. But if we say we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then we have to admit Herod is in the scripture. Matthew had a reason for telling us the story, not only because of its history, but because of what it says to us. And so let's spend a little bit of time with Herod. I actually did more research into Herod for this sermon than I've ever done before. 
and found out some fascinating things. Herod actually was the king of the Jews from the year 37 before Christ until the year 4 before Christ. Now there's a four-year differential there. We understand that. Our calendars and our timing are off a little bit. We do know because of the story being told that Herod was in power when Jesus was born. In his early career, Herod proved to be a brilliant politician. He found a way to maneuver himself into power and to expand his kingdom that would make most politicians today look like amateurs. Herod was a great builder. He built the temple, rebuilt it in Jerusalem. He built many fortresses that were also palaces, including the one at Masada, which people still visit today as the site of the the last holdout Jews who held out against the Romans in the year 74. Herod's kingdom expanded so far, and he was so interested in, in expanding his reach that he built establishments in Damascus and Antioch and Byblos. In that way, he was good for the economy. Herod himself as a person was was a fascinating character. He wasn't Jewish. You would think the king of the Jews would be Jewish, but he was not. He was actually Arab racially. He was part of a group called the Idumeans who had been conquered by the Jews a few years before uh, he was born, and they were all forced to become Jewish. And so he was racially Arab, but he was religiously Jewish. Culturally, he was more like the Greeks of the day, but politically, he was through and through Roman. Do some more reading. He was a fascinating character. Here's something that you'll be interested in knowing. If you like Richard Burton, and who was his girlfriend that was Cleopatra? Herod the Great, he was called, sided with Antony and Cleopatra, with Richard and Elizabeth. He sided with Antony and Cleopatra against Octavian. And when Octavian defeated Antony and Cleopatra and became Augustus Caesar, Herod was so tricky and so sly that he managed to convince Octavian that he actually was Octavian's friend. And Octavian put him into power and gave him even greater power, greater territory. Towards the end of his rule, some people believe that Herod was beginning to go mad. He killed two, some accounts say three, of his very own sons because he believed that they were plotting against him to take power. He was married to ten different women and he had one of them killed because he believed she was plotting against him. Caesar Augustus is quoted as saying that it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. When Herod was about to die, and he knew that he was about to die, just a few days actually before he died, he issued his last executive order to his army. He ordered that on news of his death that the army was to spread out over the kingdom and execute every prominent and popular citizen that they could, wherever they could, so that at least somebody would be crying when he died. Thankfully, the order was never carried out. But this is the Herod who murdered innocent children. Let's talk about that experience. What can we learn from Herod? What can we observe about him and absorb from the story of him? that might say something important to us today. I think the first thing that we have to say is that Jesus of Nazareth, whom we call the Christ, the Messiah, that Jesus was born into a sinful world. 
a world full of people like Herod. Some people dismiss the Christmas story as being too sentimental, too mushy, too good to be true. There's nothing sentimental, there's nothing mushy about the birth of Christ into a world that precipitated such terror and such fear and such hatred and such jealousy that it resulted in the execution of innocent children. Truth be told, every baby who is born into the world is born not only into the loving arms of a mother and father and sometimes not even that. But every child that's born is born into a world that can be very, very scary indeed. Jesus was born into the world precisely for the purpose of saving the world. And as the story is told, he would escape. He would escape from Herod the Great. But there's more to that story we'll tell later. Christmas is a story not about a sweet little baby boy. Christmas is a story about God himself come into the world to address the real world, the world in which you and I live. And Herod reminds us of that fact. That's one thing we can learn. Something else we can learn is that Herod embodies the very worst of human nature. Now, we don't like to think about it, but Herod was a human being, just like we are human beings. Why would Herod react the way he did? Well, there are all kinds of possible reasons that Herod would become so upset, upset enough to risk the unpopularity with his people that he would go and execute some of them. He had already proven that he was willing to do that. He clearly was afraid of losing his power. And all the people in Jerusalem were afraid of losing their power. I don't mean to pick on official Washington today because it's no different from any other power of any other center of political power. But think about it. When a new president takes office, thousands and thousands and thousands of people lose their jobs. They lose their power along with him. All of official Jerusalem heard that a new king had been born, and they were terrified because it might mean they would lose their job, their power, their place. Herod was so terrified, so paranoid, so worried that he was hell-bent, and I use that term purposely. He was hell-bent on keeping what it had, even if it meant murdering the most powerless and most innocent among us. Sometimes people go that far in order to keep what they have. Herod was a pride-filled worshiper of himself. Everything and everyone was meant to serve only his purpose. And ultimately, of course, he was someone who rebelled against God himself. Every other character in the Christmas story Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the angels, even the pagans, the magi from the east, they all worshiped at Jesus' feet. Herod instead rebelled against his creator. Where have we heard that story before? And that leads me to the most dangerous point that I'm going to make today, and that is that you and I are called and commanded to see ourselves even in Herod. Because sometimes we rebel against God. Sometimes we insist on 
following our own way, whether or not it is God's way, and we will do whatever it takes to do it our way. We lie to ourselves. We lie to others. We pretend that the world will not work unless we are in power. Sometimes we collectively, maybe sometimes even we individually, are willing to kill the innocent in order to do it our way. And so, that's the call today. It's great to look at the shepherds and say, wow, they were nobody. Maybe God can use a nobody like me. It's great to look at the kings and say they were somebody. Maybe God can use a somebody like me. But we sure don't want to look at Herod. If we don't look at Herod, then we have not understood the Christmas story. Only when you and I confront the reality of the Herod's that are around us and the Herod that sometimes is in us, can we truly understand the good news that Jesus is? And so we have to go to the rest of the story. Christmas is only the beginning, you know that. Jesus escaped Herod's mass murder scheme for a time. Only one day later, then, to march back into Jerusalem, Herod the Great was dead, but Herod Antipas, one of his surviving sons, was king. It was before Herod Antipas that Jesus was tried. And with the ascent of Herod Antipas, Herod the Great's son, and all the Jewish leaders and the Romans, that Jesus would meet the same fate as the little children in Bethlehem. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is when God takes all of us at our most murderous, most rebellious, most sinful selves and says, I can love and forgive and redeem even that. Herod represents all the evil and sin of the world in this particular story. But Jesus represents and is the very power of God, God who wins over death, over hatred, over injustice, over evil, over genocide, over war, over famine. Jesus comes into the midst of the real world that you and I inhabit, and the real world that sometimes you and I create. And Jesus redeems it all. So the question is, where will we decide to stand when we come to stand at the manger? With whom will we identify? We will not have understood the story, and we will not have understood ourselves, and we will not have understood the saving love of God unless when we see Herod we say, yes, that, that could be me. The choice for us is to identify with the others and live like the others and be the others, all the while asking God to forgive us of that which in us is just like the one whom we prefer not to name in the Christmas story. It's a choice we're called to make every day. I, for one, thank God that he gives us that choice and that he gives us the opportunity to be forgiven and restored and renewed, to take our place alongside all the heavenly angels who sing the glory of the newborn king. Amen. Thank you, Jack. Friends, let us affirm the faith through the sacred words adapted from the gospel according to Luke. In one voice and one heart, let us affirm our faith. Our souls magnify the Lord, and our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servants. Surely from now on all generations will call us blessed. 
for the Mighty One has done great things for us, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. I know I'm asking all of us to find characters within the nativity scene with whom we can identify. There are people in this congregation who are much like Zechariah and Elizabeth, full of faith and faithfulness to the Word of God, even though that promise seems a long way off. There are people in this congregation like Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and all the rest. And so the question is, are there any people in this congregation like Herod? There were some in some of my former congregations. <laughs> Maybe someday this will be a former congregation. Who knows? Don't leave this place without thanking God that you can be honest with God about who you are and who we are, we can be honest because God loves us. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus into a world full of Herods, people like us, to offer us a different way. That's what Christmas is about. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all today and forever. Let God's people say together, Amen. Amen.